This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hi there. The show is called Because I Said So. I'm your host, John Roseman. Welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. I'm a family psychologist, uh, but I am a Christian first and foremost, and therefore I do not believe in psychology. I believe it is a secular religion that you believe in by faith. For more on that, go to John MacArthur, who opened my eyes concerning that issue. I've written about 20 books on what is called parenting and family issues. I am a very busy public speaker, primarily in churches around the country, and I write a nationally syndicated newspaper column that some of you may be familiar with. It appears in about 200 to 250 newspapers around the country. And as you may have already guessed, if you're a first-time listener, I talk about on this program parenting issues, child-rearing, bringing up BB, that sort of thing. So, uh, every so often when I'm feeling in an especially mischievous mood, as opposed to my typically mischievous mood, I award a RALF. Now, RALF is an acronym that stands for Roseman's Awfully Ludicrous Parenting Honor. Roseman's Awfully Ludicrous Parenting Honor, R-A-L-P-H, RALF to either a parenting pundit who has given exceedingly bad parenting advice or a parent who has done something exceedingly foolish. In either case, to qualify, one must have caught the attention of the media. Now, sometimes I give these people names because their names have already been in the media, and sometimes I don't, whether their names have been in the media or not, Because it just doesn't prove a point. It doesn't advance my point, at the very least, to name these people. I'm trying to make a point. I'm not uh, trying to deliver a personal attack. So um, my latest Ralph, today's Ralph, goes to a motherhood columnist for a fairly prominent newspaper in the American Northeast. One of Reimer's recent columns was titled Paying, Paying, P-A-Y-I-N-G, Giving Money to Children for Good Behavior is Worth Every Penny of It. In said column, she advocates paying children for good behavior, chores, good grades, practicing an instrument, attending supplementary classes, going to museums and other educational activities, and doing homework. Okay, all of the aforementioned stuff, I never got paid for. I must have led an extremely deprived childhood, although I failed to see any symptoms of said theoretical deprivation in my adult life or adult behavior, but Relative to this motherhood columnist's advice, I was a uh, disadvantaged child, to say the least. Once again, said motherhood columnist says, 
In a column titled, Paying for Good Behavior is Worth Every Penny of It, she advocates paying children for good behavior, chores, good grades, practicing an instrument, attending supplementary classes, going to museums, getting paid to go to a museum, fascinating, and doing homework. She compares this dubious practice to employee incentive programs, saying that if parents want their kids to do the right thing, quote, there has to be something in it for them besides just doing the right thing, end quote. With a couple of thousand keystrokes, Reimer makes mockery, absolute mockery of teaching children to do the right thing simply because it is the right thing to do. That apparently outmoded concept is the basis of all moral and ethical behavior, folks. Doing the right thing simply because it is the right thing to do is the basis of all moral and ethical behavior. Doing the right thing because there's something in it for you is called pragmatism. And people who are pragmatic practice what is called moral relativism or moral individualism. In other words, they determine their own morals from situation to situation and are able to justify anything that they do in any given situation because they are moral relativists. I asked the rhetorical rhetorical question, how is it that people like this are given a platform by the media in the first place? I just don't get it. Here is a person who obviously has absolutely no common sense. She is a moral relativist herself, quite obviously, or she would not be saying stuff like this. How in the world does this person end up writing a parenting column for a prestigious newspaper in the American Northeast? And the answer is, because today's newspapers support moral relativism. They are mouthpieces for the secular atheist left in America. There are exceptions to that, but they are increasingly rare. Anyway, back to this motherhood columnist's advice to give children money for good grades, good behavior, Chores, practicing instruments, attending supplementary classes, going to museums, and doing their homework. I submit that paying children for what they should do out of respect for self and others teaches them to be manipulative, much less pragmatic. And indeed, if one reads this motherhood columnist's entire column, it is obvious that her children have become proficient at manipulating her. She uses them as an example and tells what she thinks are cute stories about them, and they aren't cute at all. It's stories about children who have learned how to manipulate their mother. It is significant to note that said columnist sees no tangible benefit in her children's behavior of her largesse. She admits, for example, that paying her kids to do their homework and study for tests did not result in better grades. Okay? So what's the point? What is the point, lady? She's telling her readers that what she advises has not worked for her, but she is recommending it anyway. 
I am thinking of a popular definition of insane. Doing the wrong thing over and over and over again, or doing something over and over and over again, even if it doesn't work. I think it is rather insensitive myself of said motherhood columnist to suggest in these economic hard times that parents should dig down deep into pockets that are less than brimming in order to pay children for doing that, which she is obviously too lazy to get her kids to do through proper discipline. Thankfully, my Ralph's, Roseman's awfully ludicrous parenting honors, cost nothing. Therefore, she gets one. Next, we have an online parenting pundit who calls herself a licensed family psychotherapist. In a recent online column, said columnist advises that a a two-and-a-half-year-old who still sleeps in his parents' bed should be allowed for the time being to stay there because another sibling is due imminently. She writes, the last thing you want is to fuel sibling rivalry by kicking him out of his parents' bed just when the baby arrives without giving him time to comfortably transition to his own room. This just isn't the time, she says, to make this a change, to make a change this major. Excuse me, I'm stumbling over words here. Something that people do at my age, but I understand people do it at younger ages too, so I don't feel so bad. This just isn't the time, she says, to make a change this major, one that will require persistence, consistency, and determination. Yes, it is. It's the perfect time, in fact. Furthermore, making this so-called transition doesn't require any more than a little creativity. In the first place, the child at the age of two and a half shouldn't be sleeping in his parents' bed anyway. This is uh, uh, the consequence of this new attachment parenting mumbo-jumbo that has gone viral in America's uh, mother culture. And it's it's uh, completely unnecessary. It's not supported by any good research. And why would you sleep with a terrorist is, is my question. Anyway, if you've got a two-and-a-half-year-old child in your bed, here's how to get him out. You simply tell the child that the doctor, a sort of a parenting Santa Claus that I invented a number of years ago, has said that when new babies come, children can no longer sleep in their parents' bed, period. The doctor says so. End of story. Referring the issue to a third party whose authority the child already recognizes virtually neutralizes resistance. I recommend the doctor quite often. The child won't like it, but when it's pointed out that we must do what the doctor tells us to do, he will accept it, even at the age of two and a half. In fact, I've never, ever had parents tell me the doctor didn't work in a situation of this sort. If the child cries, simply tell him the doctor said he might need to cry. You might need to cry for the first night or two to get used to a new bed. Just roll with it, in other words. In my experience, the full transition takes about three nights. In all fairness, and the reason I don't mention this person by name, there was a time in my career when I would have advised exactly what she advised. And then... 
I stopped thinking like a psychologist and I began channeling for a woman who raised her children 75 years ago. Yes, folks, channeling. She won't tell me her name, so I just call her Grandma. I'm John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. American Family Radio will be back in a few. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could stay with us. And for those of you who are just joining us, this is Because I Said So with John Rosemond on American Family Radio. If you want to find out more about me and the work that I do, you can go to John Rosemond, that's J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D.com. I am here where you are listening to me now, wherever you might be. On American Family Radio every Saturday at 5 o'clock Central Time. Now, American Family Radio is in Tupelo, Mississippi, so they operate according to Central Time. But if you're in Eastern, in the Eastern United States, it would be 6 o'clock. Mountain, it would be 4 o'clock. And Pacific, it would be 3 o'clock. So, um... What I do on the show, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, is I talk about parenting issues, which is my field. I am a uh, what our culture calls a parenting expert, uh, which means I have a briefcase and I'm more than 50 miles from home or something like that. Um, so occasionally I do commentary, occasionally I editorialize, occasionally I talk about current events that uh, have something to do with the raising of children. And occasionally I answer questions from listeners. And um, by the way, if you have a question for me, you can email the question. That's the easiest way to do it, to radio at rosemond, R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D dot com or radio at johnrosemond.com. So I'm going to try and get to uh, a couple of questions during this segment of the show. Uh, The first comes from a mother in the Midwest who writes, Our four-year-old son, who is a middle child with older and younger sisters, frequently uses baby talk. It doesn't seem to be a way of seeking attention because when we ask him to repeat himself in his big boy voice, he will do so, and he only does this with us. Is correcting him making a bigger deal out of it than necessary and possibly making it worse? So my answer On the 1 to 10 scale of important parenting matters, I give this a 1. No offense intended, but this is something about which your great-grandmother, when she was raising her kids, would not have given any mental energy to at all. Today's parents often worry so much about small details, many of which are completely insignificant, as is 
the question in question or the issue in question that they miss the bigger picture. Beware, mother from the Midwest, falling into that trap. Generally speaking, to elaborate slightly, today's parents are overly vigilant, overly concerned, overly attentive, and overly attentive to details. They also interpret their children's behavior psychologically. They think psychologically is the way that I put it. Their children do something that's a little out of the ordinary. In this case, a four-year-old child using baby talk occasionally, big deal. But it's out of the ordinary. And so today's parents begin to be concerned about anything that's out of the ordinary. When the matter of the fact is that children are odd because human beings are odd. And until you learn that letting your oddness just hang out makes people uncomfortable or it causes them to laugh at you and talk about you behind your back. And I'm just I'm talking about children here. They let their oddness hang out. Until you learn to suck it in, uh, you do odd things and you are oblivious to the fact, as, this, as is this four-year-old, that you are doing anything odd. Children are odd. Human beings are odd. And uh, I submit that we no longer in America accept that children do odd things. We run for the parenting book every time a child does an odd thing. What does this mean? We say it only means he's a child. So my advice to you, mother in the Midwest, is that you give this no attention at all. None. Zero. In fact, I recommend that you have fun with it. Now, have a little fun with it. Uh, you know, enjoy parenting, folks. Uh, talk to him in baby talk. Not always, but occasionally. Sometimes, you know, once a week. When he slips up and talks in his big boy voice. <laughs> Tell him you can't understand him. Yes, when he talks in his big boy voice. Look at him and say, I can't understand you. You need to talk in your baby voice. And he will look at you like you've gone daft off the end. Obviously, your son can articulate properly, so you have no reason for worry. Be assured this will resolve itself in due time. I seriously doubt that he will repeat his marriage vows in baby talk. Folks, you got to know what's important and what's unimportant. Otherwise, you're just going to drive yourself absolutely nuts. Here's some more parents who are driving themselves absolutely nuts. Question, my 14-year-old son does not brush his teeth except during the week before going to the dentist. He doesn't have any cavities. His breath is fine. His checkups at the dentist are at the acceptable level. They're not great, but they're passable. And his teeth look fine. Well, yeah, he's 14. <laughs> so he feels like it's an unnecessary bother. I, nevertheless, am concerned that he is setting himself up for dental problems. My wife wants to clamp down and enforce him brushing his teeth very closely, which would consist of being in the bathroom with him and supervising his brushing. Well, yes, it would. 
If we didn't watch him, he'll go into the bathroom and just do a perfunctory job or just wet his toothbrush and say that he brushed. Do you have any advice for us? Yep, I do. You know, when you're a parenting expert, you have to have advice. You can't say, I don't know. You can't say, gosh, you got me. You just can't, or you stop being a parenting expert. Nobody would, uh, nobody would take you seriously from that point on, you know. So yeah, I've got some advice, and my advice is that you accept that you have done and said to your son everything you can do and everything you can say to get him to realize the importance of brushing his teeth, and that you stop doing and saying anything. Just stop. Today, right now, whatever time it is at your house. Have you not yet figured out that short of standing over him, which you've already told me, that's the only thing that's going to get him to brush his teeth, is to go into the bathroom with a 14-year-old child, something that is going to get very tiresome very quickly, by the way, That short of standing over him while he brushes, you are not going to win this battle. And by the way, if you win the battle that way, you really haven't won it at all. And I suspect, by the way, that this has turned into a power struggle, that he is winning, and he knows he's winning, and he's going to continue winning no matter what you do. He is a rebel without a cause, with a toothbrush or without one in this case. If you stand over him in the bathroom twice a day, you're only going to stimulate more passive-aggressive, that's what psychologists call it, passive-aggressive behavior from him and become increasingly exasperated as if you aren't exasperated enough already. If you stand over him in the bathroom, your son is going to see to that. He is going to retaliate, and he is going to retaliate in the most passive-aggressive of ways. He is going to make you stand there while he brushes, and he is going to do a bad job of brushing, and you are going to go, come on, brush your back teeth, brush your back teeth, brush the insides of your teeth. Billy, brush the insides of your teeth. And the more nuts you get, the more passive-aggressive he is going to get and the more nuts you are going to get and the more passive-aggressive he is going to get. And this could end up in the newspapers. You don't want that. So just drop it. It's only a matter of time before his peers, he's in what, the eighth grade, begin telling him, you've got bad breath, dude. Have you ever heard of halitosis, man? Like, you know, clean up your act. I mean, like nobody wants to you know, be around you, much less face-to-face. You can't neglect brushing forever and not develop bad breath, especially teenage boys. You can also inform him that if he develops a cavity, it will be his job to pay for the repair and that his privileges will be suspended until he has satisfied the debt. Let the monkey be on his back, not yours. My son's obstetrician called me one day and said, John, uh, Eric's not using his rubber bands. And, you know, I I signed a contract with you for a certain amount of money, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to begin billing you for the additional work that I'm doing because Eric is not uh, 
using his rubber bands properly. And I told the obstetrician, whom I knew, he was a friend of mine, I said, I'm not going to pay any more bills. He said, you're not. I said, no. I said, but Eric will. So send the bills to Eric. And he laughed and he, he said, uh, you know, that's a great idea. So about two weeks later, Eric comes up to me and says, Dad, I got a bill from Dr. Makemson. What's this all about? I said, oh, you're not using your rubber bands properly. I'm not going to pay for that. I am paying a certain amount of money for your braces. Any additional work required because you're being irresponsible, you're paying for yourself. How am I going to get the money? I said, I don't know. Mojo, mo lawns. But you can't do anything, no privileges, until the bill is paid. He mowed a lot of lawns over the next two weeks. The bill was paid, and we never had the problem again. Folks, I'm John Roseman. This is called Because I Said So. It's all about parenting American Family Radio every Saturday, 5 Central Time. Glad you can join us. And I hope that you join us again. Have a good one.